0: Hello, I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. Welcome to Season 9, Episode 2 of Scene From Above, an informal podcast about the cool things happening in Earth observation. Check out seenfromabove.org for the podcast archive and show notes. Follow the show on Twitter via at EOSeenFrom and using the hashtag #scenefromabove. In this episode, we will discuss the rise of the cloud-based geotiff.
1: Okay, let's do the news then on the 13th of January 2021. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I think the most pressing piece of news that I wanted to mention was that we have a tentative launch date for Landsat 9. Oh, okay. So September, it's coming up in September. Yeah, this is sort of like a part of the ongoing Landsat series, Landsat 8, a stunning success. I think our collective favourite satellite, Is that right from from memory? I think so. Although Sentinel 2 is really pushing in there, isn't it? But it's just this long, really deep record, isn't it, of continuous coverage, and it's just so fantastic. To, to hear that it's going to go up this year landsat 10 i think landsat 10 already funded as well so oh, that's great you know it's just so, so important and you know these continuity missions yeah brilliant to keep an eye on it
0: so i did hear something about how the whole effect of covid and the lockdown and everything else did put the uh, the brakes on things a little bit just in the sort of like the final checks and stuff like that so maybe that's shifted it a little bit and then like you say they then need to look for a new window etc cetera, etc cetera, so But that's great that it's going to be launched in September. Cool. Okay. So I've got a quick announcement that I want to make about some news that I saw to do with one of the Dias services. So you might remember that I think a couple of years ago now, we had a a couple of podcast episodes about the Dias systems. And this is about Onda, which is one of those platforms. And they've announced something called Most, which is managed Onda storage. And this sounds quite interesting. Basically, it's an archive as a service solution. And it allows people to request private storage in the ONDA archive. And then you can link the data as well and load in third party data and all sorts of things like that through to ONDA applications.
1: Sounds a bit like an S3 bucket.
0: Yeah. But as far as I understand it, the DIAS systems already have large amounts of data there already. So you're basically just cutting out a little bit and saying, OK, I just want this bit and I'll pay for it to be stored in my area so that i can use the apps that i'm generating
1: i wonder thinking ahead to our topic if cloud-based geotiffs kill these sort of services
0: it's, it's really tricky i think as we were talking about when we did the dias episodes can we see an ongoing use case for these things it's great that they're there and the work that's being done to make them available and to promote them is really really amazing But is there enough ongoing paid for interest by the user community that
1: these things will will carry on into the future? It feels like things like AWS and Google Cloud and other services have a kind of jack of all trades tagged to them. And one of the trades is satellite data. And these are specialist services. The DS is for satellite data, shall we say. I know I'm being very general. There is a case to be made for which one do you use because you may want to diversify and maybe this archive as a service gives you the option for more flexibility
0: it was an interesting announcement and i think it's one that if you're interested in what the Dias are trying to do then check it out
1: yeah I saw this page called the map project, M-A-A, projects.org, which is quite interesting, actually. And uh, I was pleased to sort of come across it. The bit that I came across was an article about illegal gold mining and and monitoring it with satellite imagery. So stuff like monitoring in the tropics and the rainforests of the world. This organisation, this conservation organisation monitoring, the, the MAP stands for monitoring of the Andean Amazon project. I should have probably said that at the start. But... (laughs) Um, (laughs) they've used data from SkySat to um, inspect known illegal gold mining and they've measured it and they've come up with 78% reduction
0: so that's a 78% reduction in illegal gold mining
1: yes across all six sites following operation mercury
0: Uh, we have to (laughs) dig deeper into whatever operation mercury is (laughs) Um, mixing up the elements in the periodic table there just to confuse things
1: (laughs) but, but dear listener all we can do is point you at these case studies it's interesting though isn't it i mean you know a, a good news story there's some very
0: interesting images in in the page that you've pointed out a lot of these seem really small operations comparatively and having access to the high resolution data really does make a difference in this case i found it quite uplifting in a way okay cool i've got the ai story of the episode because <laughs> it seems like they've got to have an ai thing these absolutely. days absolutely yeah <laughs> Uh, So it's an article called spotting elephants from space. And this is quite interesting. This is basically using worldview three data and deep learning models where researchers at the University of Oxford have found a method to try and count elephants using the the satellite imagery. So it's quite cool. This group of researchers have actually come up with a convolutional neural network and have managed to train that to go over worldview three imagery and pull out all of the elephants that are in there. It's just a a really neat little example of what you can do with some of these neural networks.
1: Okay, it's hard to sort of raise this in a way, but there's this very interesting article on the technologyreview.com about the incoming presidency for Joe Biden talking about satellite imagery. And there's a lot of stuff in there about climate change, and rightly so. But I I was drawn to a, a quote, and this is why I wanted to talk about it in the news, The quote in the article says, It's not just about throwing flood maps over the fence and hoping people use them. This sort of resonated with me. Um, I don't know if it resonates with you. And the article doesn't really go on to sort of elaborate on that implied, well, what is the better option here?
0: Yeah.
1: But it is interesting because quite often, we see this as an end point with Earth observation. And I think this is why I got I got sort of so fascinated with the quote, because we get our satellite data, we process it, we disseminate a flood map, and then as the article says, we just chuck them out over the fence. And it's trying to bring that into a, a a more longitudinal kind of study, fuse data with other data to to try and put some value on this. This area has been flooded X number of times and it got to this extent this number of times. And He's saying we need to rethink the stories that we're telling to people. And And one of the ways that they can do that is to try and turn it into sort of these actionable strategies.
0: I think the word
1: that you mentioned
0: that holds most resonance for me is story. And it's not something that I necessarily would have grasped over and over again, some of the resources that I've gone to to look for different ways of doing business has come back to telling stories and that the sort of the human thing is to tell stories. Yep. And I've always been like, no, we need the data. But it never really dawned on me that you can tell compelling stories that include the data. And it's by telling the story that it lodges in people's brains. They remember things and they understand what the implication is of the data. I also have been getting slightly frustrated with the fact that maps tend to get sort of highlighted and thrown out and, or data gets highlighted and thrown out. And, and it's a case of, well, we've got done that, so, so crack on. But just by having yet another map of deforestation or yet another map of flood and inundation or a map of locust swarms in a, a given place, doesn't actually do anything on the ground to mitigate or deal with the problem that's there. And so I can certainly see how there is a need for people who are creating this type of information to take it the next step and, and really sort of try and create some sort of narrative around the data that makes scientific sense, but is actually both actionable and also relatable to the people that they are trying to inform. My final thing for the news is a bit of a heads up, actually, on a company. And it's not that I particularly want to trumpet the, the company necessarily. Uh, it's more to do with one of the pages on their website. And it's really useful. It's a company called Head Aerospace. And I've never heard of them. And they are headquartered in Beijing. Yep. And they have subsidiaries around the world, including in Europe and in the United Kingdom as well. But one of the pages they do is they list all of the satellites that they have access to. And this is its really interesting that they've got another 20 launches scheduled before 2022, and they're going to have access to more than 80 Earth observation satellites, allowing them to then sort of provide imagery and, I guess, applications and things to to users from there. But most of the satellites that are listed are Chinese or related to the Chinese Space Agency in some respects. So there's CBERS, which is Chinese-Brazilian. But it's really interesting. If you want to know what some of the Gaofen satellites do when they were launched and um, what their spatial resolution is, what their swath width is, and what their revisit times are, then have a look at the the link that we put in the show notes, because it's really interesting. I hadn't realized that Gaofen 3 was a SAR, for instance, or that Gaofen 5 is high spectral yeah it's really cool it would be really interesting to understand how many clients are using these these data sets i might have heard of the name galfan but i hadn't heard or understood what the specifics of each of the different satellites were until looking at this page
1: yeah certainly the galfans are something to keep an eye on yeah but i wonder if it's if uh, observation suffers from the first to market owns the market Once you get familiar with a term, does worldview become synonymous with high-resolution satellite data? Does doves become synonymous with daily revisit? Obviously, the companies that operate those satellites would like it to be. But the the website's really nice because it, it just gives you very high level, which is often what people want. Yes, Finding data still is not as easy as it should be. Okay, so the final thing I wanted to mention was GIS chat on Twitter so hashtag GIS chat has been around for quite a few years I would say and it's occurred to me several times over the last few years that there's not really a central place like that on Twitter for talking about earth observation chat so I hadn't had a conversation with Emil Cherrington, who we've spoken to on the podcast and I said you know wouldn't it be nice if we had something like this so we're going to give it a go. Just a heads up, we're gonna we're gonna start in January to try it on Sunday evenings, uh, UK time eight till nine, and Wednesdays at two till three. So this is all GMT. We'd love to sort of have people along, you know, shout out stuff that you're doing, interesting links, news, all this kind of stuff. Be uh, positive in in sharing things that you're working on, and you know, let's let's try and engage better on Twitter as a community. Hashtag EO Chat. Cool, and that's it for the news. Okay, so this time around, we're going to talk about the rise of the cloud based GeoTIFF. We're going to try and talk in high level terms about why we think it's important, what the benefits are, uh, is there any alternatives? Uh, we're going to hopefully consider how we measure adoption way up whether it's just another format will it bring more users into the fray will it open up observation to a, to a new audience which would be lovely and you know the impact on on the way things works so there's quite a lot of things to sort of talk about we're going to try and as I say cover it in a high level way without going into the sort of details on what a cog is is in its sort of essence, but I'll just borrow from their website to read the official definition of COG. So before we start, we should clarify that a uh, cloud-optimized GeoTIFF or COG, which we'll probably call it from now on a COG, uh, it's basically just a regular GeoTIFF file which is aimed at being hosted on an HTTP file server that's been organised, the internal organisation of the file, so it's been organised in a way it's more efficient to work on the cloud, and then it does this through HTTP GET requests and the user just accesses the part of the file that they need so you can get overviews you can get the you know the bit that you're zoomed in on um i've been blogging quite a bit on cogs and and using them and you can just stream them into qjs very easily and I'm, I'm sure you know if it's not the case already in arc you you probably will be able to fairly soon have you been using them Alistair? no i haven't so this is why i wanted to talk about this
0: and because of some of the episodes that we've got coming up i think it's it's wise that we just stick to a high level for this episode. So I've seen the posts that you've put out. I know that you're a big fan of COGS. Now, on a theoretical and conceptual level, I totally get what COGS do and I understand how they're really useful. But currently, I don't have projects on where I'm I'm needing to use COGS. So playing devil's advocate in a little sort of a way, what I really want from you is for you to convince me that I should be using this and that it's easy for me to use. I don't have to have a massive learning curve to understand how to use this compared to what I already know, which is go on Earth Explorer, find the Landsat image or the Sentinel-2 image, download that image. And yes, I know that it might take an hour to download all of the uh, various spans of a given image. So in my head, I know that I should be using COGS and I know that it's the right way and it's the efficient way of doing it. But, A, I don't know how to actually use it, and I don't know why I should be using it instead of the way that
1: I've always done it. Those are my two things to use. I'll try and address your questions all in one block. Okay. um, but, But maybe not in quite the linear way that you'd love, more in my kind of rambling about way. But at a high level, we're thinking to continuously download and replicate data is a little bit mad say you need a sentinel 2 image and and you go ahead and you download i believe you can download from the sci-hub individual bands but the default option is for sure downloading about a gig per tile of sentinel 2 level 2 a processed satellite data and then you go and store that in your computer because you know you're disciplined and you're much better at project file management than than i am And (laughs) and you've got a devoted folder to it for data or it's a folder in your your project drive and you use that data and you think oh actually what i really could do with is another image so you go back on to the sci hub or wherever you know earth explorer that you've been using go and pull down that file and you're reliant upon you know your download speed and and the server serving up to you quick enough which is still an issue with cogs in that sense uh and then and then you go and save it in the right place and then you finish your project and you leave that data in that folder um, Mm -hmm. because you may have to go back to it and refer to it in the future or you just forget about it or it gets archived or you do what I do and forget that you've downloaded it and go and download it again and save it somewhere else and you end up on this unnecessary task of ever increasing downloads replicating an image that already exists and quite often with satellite imagery you want just a small part of it and with a cog you can get just the part that you need of that image depending on the zoom level you're at so if you can you can zoom out and you get a higher overview and as you zoom in you maintain the resolution of, of the image how you go about using them um, i can't comment on all pieces of software but in qjs it's just as simple as putting the url into the add data tool oh, okay so you click add data and instead of pointing it at a file on your computer system in exactly the same place. You just copy and paste that URL and you click OK. One of the things I like is that you can build custom VRT files, which are virtual REST format files. Mm -hmm. And in those files, you can specify uh, links, URLs, to the data so you can build your own rgbs and these VRTs sit on your computer as sort of four kilobytes (laughs) and you drag them in and your image appears the next problem is how do you know that url is going to exist and where do you get that url so there are tools being developed all the time. And there is a plugin for for QJS. It's a bit old already. Um, it's not my preferred way of searching for data, but there is a plugin and you should be able to search stacks for cloud-optimized geotiffs. These stacks are basically APIs, front ends for search and discovery. That's, that's what you should see them for. Personally, I prefer to look for my imagery at the moment using... A Python client and just pass in the premises that I need, whether it be a, a, a bounding box or, you know, cloud cover or, or this kind of stuff. Okay. And then I can get my URLs or I can get a list of URLs and then either add them in to QGIS or uh, use the searches that, you know, I've written a couple of blogs about how you can just code it yourself straight into QGIS in about 10 lines And I've got a blog coming up soon to to just basically iterate over the areas based on cloud cover and things like bounding boxes to build a whole project's worth of image links that you can go ahead and uh, drag straight into QJ. This is the way that... Processing is gonna to have to go
0: just because of the amount of data. But it also gives a lot of freedom, it sounds, to the the person doing the processing, because no longer do I need to have a disk of a certain size or an internet connection of a certain size, or set aside three days at the beginning of the project for making sure that the the data is downloaded, etc. I can just find the data using the tools or the types of tools that you've you've talked about and that we've talked about on the podcast before and then get those links, put them into a system like you were saying with the virtual images, and then away you go. And I, I guess if I then wanted to share my work with you, I would share the the vert file with you?
1: Yep, you can send it to me via email. Okay,
0: that makes everything so much easier. It would be interesting to know what the uptake is amongst our listeners, because COGS have been around now for a couple of years, haven't they? Whether people are just sort of getting on with it and using those and using them how they were designed to be used or whether there's still a lot of downloading maybe i'm being a bit unfair on the uptake and maybe it'll be over the next two to three years where the switch will really happen in earnest because i guess a lot of the software packages are also going to have to change to take account for this
1: there is a degree of inertia with all these kind of things i feel that we've talked about stack and cogs generally over the last year or 18 months so much that at the end of 2020, I wanted to sit down and really get quite deep and work out how I was going to use these new tools because it is a changing place all the time and it's a very, you know, dynamic industry. We have to keep our eyes on things that gain traction and are going to be here for for quite a long time. And cogs are definitely one thing that's going to become prevalent in a lot of our work. I think the real key in this puzzle is stack. It's so important, yet potentially so dry. You don't visually get the impact where you have that kind of, whoa, I can just stream this data in, this is changing. But it's finding the data and finding it in a standard way. So you can get all sorts of metadata back, but you know, to get the actual URL of the cog, that's the sort of thing that unlocks it all. So once you get used to finding the data, you'll use cogs all the time. Okay. Whether that becomes like a Earth Explorer front-end I know that Landsat is all available as as COGS and I haven't used Earth Explorer for a while, so maybe I need to check this. But if it just said, you've searched for this image, you can just click this link and it'll just fling open QGIS and it'll open it for you there and then. You're going to choose that. Yes, You're going to do it. (laughs) Rather than, please sign in with this account, please download this data. Now you've got to unzip it. All these little barriers to entry for people who are non-EO specialists, And that's what another thing that happens with COGS is it should bring more people to using the data. I think it will drive a lot of small processes in the cloud to deliver very bespoke products. The last thing is, is it a fad? I I don't think it is. To to increase the use of data across non-specialists that want to trust the data, moving everything to a COG would seem to make the most sense. Or moving to a cloud Optimized format would make the most sense. We make this joke all the time one image isn't cool, 10,000 images is cool. Well, good luck if you're going to go and download 10,000 images.
0: <laughs> I think Virgin Media would get a little upset with me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wonder if COGS will reduce the need for you to spin up a virtual machine to access huge catalogs of satellite data if you can just stream it in on demand as you need it
0: cool i found that very informative and very useful so
1: thank you very much for talking me through that it's easy to get excited about cogs but at the risk of repeating myself it's stack that opens it up and as that matures i think the adoption of a cog will just just become ubiquitous and with that the
0: thread that weaves its way through the scene from above episodes suddenly becomes clear
1: (laughs) (laughs) it was stack all along (laughs) (laughs)
0: We encourage you to drop us a line through Twitter using at Eocene where you can find a vibrant community based around the podcast. Thanks for listening. And that's it for now. Thanks, Andrew.
1: Thanks, Alistair. Cheers. Bye.
0: Oh, there you go. There's a hashtag care about cogs.
1: Have to go alone. The life is growing legs and walking past you. If I could ask you, pick up.